Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 20, The Kickstarter Roundtable. Recorded at Metatopia 2012 by Fred Hicks. Presented by Fred Hicks and Brennan Taylor. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to let you know that I've just launched my Kickstarter for the Spark role-playing game from March 12th, 2013 to April 12th, 2013. It's a bit of a case study on how to run a Kickstarter, largely based on the advice given by Fred Hicks and Brennan Taylor in this episode. So, please enjoy the panel. Three Kickstarters so far, and uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Ron Fetchin, I'm Mr. Fred Hicks, and uh, uh, we've run two Kickstarters, uh, a fiction one and a board game one. Um, we've got a one point game one actually coming up today, next month, uh, hopefully. Uh, and uh, uh, I've also kind of written Shotgun on uh, a few other uh, Kickstarters for uh, for friends sometimes that I've been turned out that people have a function for. Um, and uh, uh, as kind of a side effect of this whole thing, I've, I've been spending a lot of time talking uh, with people about Kickstarter and talking to people at Kickstarter um, about the, uh, the whole thing. So I kind of stumbled into uh, uh, being someone that people ask a lot of questions about crowdfunding even before I started running uh, the campaign myself. Um, uh, so that's been you know, great. And over here is, oh. Yeah. Uh, Cindy from Kickstarter was going to be here, um, but I believe that the weather had other ideas. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, luckily, uh, Brennan and I have both heard her speak before. Last year, Brennan and I had a broad number of questions about some of them would be saying, go find this one at Kickstarter blog. It's awesome. It's whole thing. Um, uh, I think the best way to do this is to put the blog Q&A. Yes. Um, unless you guys want us to first kind of like take a particular Kickstarter that we run and ride on and, and kind of linearly go through it. Um, but, you know, that might not be to everyone's uh, best interest, best use of our two hours here. So we do have two hours for the panel, so um, let's, let's run deep on whatever it is you're interested in. Okay. Right? Sounds good. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> go. All right. So, when is it time? Kickstarter project. Like, how far along? Yes. I have heard people joke that it's not Kickstarter, it's Kick Finisher. Um, that is, as, as, as many good jokes, uh, has an element of truth in it. Um, I would encourage you to think about uh, what it is you can give to your backers as soon as possible after your Kickstarter concludes, uh, hopefully successfully. Um, uh, even if it's not the, the ultimate product, right? Um, for uh, for the uh, fiction lo- <laughs> fiction trilogy that then became a fiction line uh, because of how the project went, that, our Dinoclitz trilogy, uh, <coughs> we already had the first novel written, edited, laid out, all of that stuff, or at least probably pre-layout when we launched the product. Um, uh, now, as it turned out, of course, of the, uh, the, the, the project with the number of specials getting hit, <coughs> up funding a total of seven books, um, and those other six ain't been written. Um, but uh, we knew that uh, as soon as the Kickstarter wrapped up, we could the next day grab a bunch of email addresses and send out to everyone uh, a copy of the first novels, and they'd have that instant gratification right away. 
And uh, I, I, the reason that we uh, adopted that particular strategy um, was uh, kind of this general perception I was getting that a lot of people were starting to you know, talk about the Kickstarter bubble. They were starting to worry about what, what, what's the big failure that's going to come along. And a lot of this, I think, uh, is feeling came about because a lot of people realized they spent a lot of money into various different Kickstarters and nothing didn't show them on the doorstep yet. Uh, so at least I, I don't expect that trend to change significantly. Um, uh, uh, it might lessen over time, but it's still going to be enough of a landscape that if you are the exceptional Kickstarter that gives those uh, backers something to hold as soon as possible after the thing is over, they're going to remember that, they're going to have more confidence in you, they're going to see that you you have some you know, capability to deliver, and you're more likely to back your uh, uh, later Kickstarter's kind of money. Not every Kickstarter, though, has uh, deliverables. Uh, no. Like, you're working Kickstarter that you Right, so, but, but looking at that, I, with, with working, I had to figure out, well, how do I have something to uh, get people, even if I can't get them in the game? Well, there are two ways we did that. One, we, we did have a, like, even at the entry level, uh, people could get a, a nice little uh, patch, uh, 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 nice uh, stone patch, Quarter patch logo of the spirit of the century. Yeah, he got his this week. This week, um, you know, a little bit further up, they can get pins. So when we said, you know, uh, as soon as we get the, those things in, uh, we're going to do a separate shipment to you guys. Uh, this is additional cost to us, but that happiness is part of the product that we find to produce here. Um, uh, we sent those patches out to people just this past uh, weeks, and we're starting to get it pinned in. So now they've got at least something to say. Okay. It's a tangible thing. This is the, this is the promise made flesh. You know, I've, I've got this. But additionally, um, because uh, we had the you know we had all of the art done, we had all the graphic design done, but the, the the funding was necessary in order to actually get the process with a manufacturer rolling. Um, uh, uh, and the process for the for manufacturing board game could be you know six months. Assume that every backing you're going to get is 
going to be that tier, yeah. and see if you can if, 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 if your if your funding level still makes that makes sense that you actually have enough actual cash that you pay all the shipping costs, and <coughs> t-shirt printing costs, or whatever. And uh, when I'm ready to actually launch the Kickstarter, it's generally when I've completed uh, all of the stuff that I need to do before I need the funding, right? Uh, or at least up to about when in the production process I think I'm going to be uh, when. If I'm doing a three-week Kickstarter, three weeks out, I, I get the cash in, then I'll be ready to spend the cash on that. So if I have to pay someone for a layout and I'm expecting the Kickstarter to do that, then I will do everything up to the layout. Yeah. Um, it really kind of depends on what you're planning on funding with the Kickstarter uh, also. I tend to get things like Fred, I tend to finish things up to basically done, yeah. uh, to where I actually have a PDF product Ready to ship out as soon as the Kickstarter is over because it's important to people. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a, a sort of related uh, uh, element to this uh, where uh, I, I believe the Kickstarter backers respond well when they feel like you've already spent some money to get to the point of asking them for money. Even if your goal is set such that if the project funds, you're already getting all that money to get back to you. Right. Um, it, you need to have made some kind of investment that is demonstrable. Um, and whether that's in getting like your five key pieces of art uh, done so you can you know, display them in their religiousness on the on the sorry, story page, um, uh, whether it's actually getting all the way through the point of uh, layout and really you're only looking to pay for the, uh, the, the print run, maybe you get a, uh, you spend you know, 40 bucks or whatever on getting a print on demand single copy so you can explain it in the video and they can, they can see an actual physical hardware as opposed to what the, uh, it's also be something. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's about that promise made flesh thing. Right, and in our, in our space, which is game design space, um, you can get a lot done before the Kickstarter. And I know that they've had some issues with, uh, with sort of the, the blue sky uh, projects where they've, they've curtailed people uh, doing uh, manufacturing projects from showing, you know, from offering things on the Kickstarter. Yeah. Do not show anything as if it is functioning if you don't have, have an actual, yeah, you have to have a prototype. mockups. Right, but for, for us, that's a lot easier because, you know, what we're dealing with is text or a board that can be represented with art. Uh, I, will, I will say, for example, um, if, uh, if you're not going to be able to get all of the art done uh, until you get Kickstarter funding, if you're not going to be able to get all of the layout and until Kickstarter funding, Consider putting a little bit of money to both of those so you could get a few pieces of art that go with your first chapter and make your layout guys who uh, you know get a partial payment to do the layout on the first chapter so that then you can show people that right. as, as kind of the same Just have, so we don't have to we don't have to be at hundred percent on all the pieces uh, or even some of the pieces that you can you can go to the twenty five percent mark and show people that twenty five percent. Since uh, the, the first panel, the basics panel, my experience with Kickstarter is always a backer. Could you kind of walk us through the process of getting the Kickstarter set up and do some of that looking for the Well, the yeah, the Kickstarter site has great instructions for, especially and, and, and pretty clear. They're pretty clear about what they're looking for with the creative project, which I think most of us will. Qualified for. Um, 
I have never had any trouble getting anything approved. I think that's the process. Yeah, I think that I think that I think the nasty surprise is that there are the time that's right. Okay. Here's here's what I'll say. You get you go to the site, you have got your account already created on it, that's the five minute process. Um, uh, you click on start a new project. Um, they have a little bar across the top that shows you the different parts of the project you need to put together, the basics of it. Uh, they tell you what sort of format you need to get your key image in. They tell you um, what your max size is on a, on a video that can be copied through a little bit. Yeah. Put a little links off to the side that where you can get more information about each well, I'm almost sure. Um, uh, uh, and one of the later parts of that um, is a uh, uh, getting set up with Amazon payments. Dear God, start your project multiple weeks in advance of when you're expecting to launch it and get that Amazon payments account set up process started as early into this process. Yeah, that, that's the biggest lag because experience because because Amazon, sometimes they might decide to take a, a week to get back to you. Sometimes they might just, they might surprise you in a few days. Um, set yourself up for pleasant surprises rather than nasty ones. Um, once you have that initial payment, once, once you have that set up, set up, once you have your identity verified, that's a very quick step. Yeah. Um, uh, once you have all of the pieces filled out, then uh, the interface will allow you to click submit for approval. Now, don't think of that as your endpoint. When you click submit for approval, you can still go back and change your video, edit anything about the project. Uh, the parts of the project do not lock down until after you launch. Um, uh, so often what I will do is I will get everything at least to a minimum filled out, you know, at least a placeholder video that, that talks reasonably well about it. Um, uh, you know, the graphics, um, basic story of the thing, I might even have a little bit like, here's where I insert the link, blah, blah. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily look like 100% finished. Um, uh, but you get it as close to finished um, as uh, you can. Click uh, for uh, getting approval, and then you can start tinkering with it for a few weeks. And in, within that first week, often within the first few work, working days, although, you know, for a change, you could change that, um, uh, you'll get a message uh, back, or you'll get a message back saying that there are problems, and these are what they are. It, that is a human. That's a human. A human being, yeah. Um, and in the game sector these days, most often is going to be the train. Uh, oh, is he doing the he's working with? Yeah. Because uh, um, that, I, I, I got the approval from him last. I remember hearing him. Yeah. Honestly, I've been, I've been coming back to me within two or three days, usually, when I'm submitted it. But uh, yeah, I would guarantee that. I would for a week. Say, yeah, plan for a week, but uh, <laughs> I say they're usually pretty fast. So. And I, I feel like with Luke on there, the responses are probably coming back faster, but also with like uh, game-specific knowledge applied to right. like, evaluating a project. Um, now, this is not a... There's no kind of moral authority thing being applied here, right? This is a this is a simple, in essence, policy compliance check. Like, are you are you following the guidelines to a right. to, to, to a smart extent, and are you uh, not violating anything that we say don't violate this? They right, yeah, they're not that all very clearly. Very they're clearly. not really assessing quality, right? They're no. just assessing whether or not you followed the guidelines. But you know, the, the thing is, that's that's just enough of a hurdle um, that some people decide back out of Kickstarter uh, uh, that they don't want to jump over the hurdle. But honestly, because those hurdles didn't jump over, that's part of why Kickstarter is in its leading position. I think um, the, the six-page six six form you have to fill out is another nice little hurdle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that takes effort, right? They're, they're, they're making you do smart, good work that you should be doing anyway if you're the to pursue Exactly. Um, 
Uh, and I think it's part of why the Carter has become a bit of an So, that, you know, they, they, they may feel like hurdles and I'm not one when I come to. Honestly, it's part of why you, you're, you want to use the Kickstarter um, in terms of what it does to get involved. How long do you typically run a campaign? Uh, they recommend uh, going, they recommend the shorter is better. Uh, they did a number of, they, they used, the, the range used to be, I think you could run something anywhere from like one day to 90 days. They ended up uh, knocking the cap down to 60 when they did a study that showed projects uh, with 61 to 90 days had a much larger chance of not, not of failing. Uh, part of the uh, element there is that uh, uh, the way that the, the sort of the, the backer spikes work with most Kickstarters uh, is uh, first three days, bam, this is where you get a lot of your spent, and it just kind of tapers off. And then, however long your project is in the middle, it's just going to kind of be. And then the last three days, oh, people are going out oh, in my last opportunity to get it, bam. Um, so it's really you can do a six-day Kickstarter and probably get a similar tra- traffic pattern to a 60-day Kickstarter. Yeah, and I, I've found that shortening the Kickstarter doesn't really affect my uh, bottom line. Yeah. Uh, there, there are reasons why you might want to run something as long as 60 days, but really... Um, I would never run anything longer than 30. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've done slightly longer than a month because what I like to do is uh, launch on a Tuesday, which tends to be a very active social media day, but end on a Sunday because the weekends are good times for people to go, oh crap, I totally didn't do this because I've been distracted with work all week. Um, uh, so that ends up giving me like a 35 day. I, I, I do have to say I've heard lots of conflicting information about when to end. Uh, I've had people give me feedback that ending on the weekend is bad because they are not on social media on the right. weekend and they forgot about it and they wanted to get in at the end. I've heard people tell me that yeah. you know, it needed to be the weekend because they needed to get their paycheck on Friday. the way that I think about it yeah. is that um, launching on a social media time frame is more important because that's when you're potentially going to catch people who just come up and go, oh yeah, I might want to back that at some point. I'll click the remind you button. Right. Because then, maybe they're not on social media, uh, hopefully, but maybe they're at least on email. Right. And then they're going to get the email reminder and so forth. And also, if you're ending on a Sunday, that reminder, I think, will go out like Friday evening-ish. Right. And that's a, that's potentially a good time. You're winding down your work week. You're checking in before you go. Maybe that's when you get the reminder and, and yeah, things like that. So, uh, I, the last one I ran was uh, three weeks, and that worked. Just fine. I yeah, you, you've run some pretty aggressive short Yes, yeah. and and I and that's they're they're kind of I was kind of experimenting, basically trying to see if shortening the time period had an effect on it. And yeah, there might be like a ten percent that you're not getting in the, in the middle right. there. But honestly, if you're if if your project projects generally don't fail by ten percent, right? no. Once you fund it to about a thirty percent level, this is actual Kickstarter, Kickstarter statistical analysis physics, yeah. um, across their whole population. Um, uh, generally, once you've got about the, the 30% mark, you have about a 90% chance of full funding, no matter what point at which you hit at least the 30% right. mark. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is uh, that once there's a, a enough backers that people have a reasonable expectation that it's going to succeed, um, you're they are starting to do some of your work for you, right? Uh, the, the, you've got enough people that are interested in the project, they want to see it finish. Uh, if it's looking like it might not finish, they're starting to get much more aggressive trying to recruit people into the Kickstarter. They might up their own pledges. That's happened to me before. The, the interesting uh, 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 lesson to be taken from this is that your backer count is actually more important than your dollar count. Yes. Um, because you're going to start hitting a critical mass of word of mouth. Um, 
the more backers you right? right. So think, think just as strongly about how do I get that number to go up as I get the number of dollars that are coming to go up. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, may have, uh, I may have a couple of people who taken a $500 uh, pledge level, which is great because it gets me very far towards my goal, but I, the fact that I have 150 people who pledge $10 is also super good because that's 150 people out there talking about my project. And, and you can also, be, you can often motivate that kind of uh, backer population growth by having a cheap digital only uh, tier that you keep packing more stuff into as stretch goals get hit. Because people then say, oh, I was going to get one PDF, but now I'm going to get three PDFs for the exact same price. That creates a sort of spiraling. The sale gets better the longer it goes, the more people I tell. Uh, I did that uh, on my fiction project. There was a $1 vacuum novel where you actually got uh, a story for $1. Uh, I got a lot of people on that. And then when we hit our stretch goal that added... I believe six more stories to the anthology. A whole bunch of them went up to the eighty dollar level, which was the full book. Yes. So, so um, could you please speak to three particular projects that, following that line, had very interesting stretch goals? Okay. Race to Adventure. Okay. Um, Ogre. Ogre. And Hillfolk. Ogre. Hillfolk. Uh, I've uh, been busy enough that I haven't paid as much attention to Hillfolk. Um, but it's, it, I think it wrapped up, it's wrapping up now or uh, something like that. Recently, I think it was six hours yesterday, so I think it's wrapped up already. It, it's a role-playing game thing from uh, Robin Laws, and last I looked at it, it's broken eighty-eight thousand dollars, which is unheard of in role-playing project, unless you're talking about it. Um, uh, yeah, he did something very interesting there, which uh, amounted to. Uh, uh, See, I say I don't know much about it, but I looked at it yesterday, and now it's all in my head. Um, uh, uh, he did something very interesting there, uh, which uh, sort of has two, two elements to it. Um, one, uh, he presented a system in a particular setting with it, and that's, that's the core product of, of, the, uh, of Kickstarter, but uh, all these thresholds were uh, centered around adding like these short page count uh, things by various artists, uh, various creators, um, uh, creating a new setting, series pitch, however you want to think of it, for use with that system. Uh, and a number of them were, were going to go to the print book, um, but then they hit their maximum page count. Uh, so now that they, they said, okay, now we're going to create a second, second book. But everyone was essentially going to get all this in the digital form, they said. At least if I understand. Uh, yeah. I spent five minutes with the page. Um, but what's particularly interesting about what he did there um, was that if you look at the list of the creatives doing each of these things, it reads like Robin's Rolodex of really fucking cool people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, anything from John Pines to uh, uh, Eric Solde to uh, uh, I mean, not, not a number of people. I think you're one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I, you know, There's I, the reason for a soft pitch. Yeah. It's just a huge number. Um, uh, and it was like every uh, 1,000 or 1,500 you would uh, bring in another one of these because there, there's something uh, like that. Or I think it's 2,000. Some of them had different jumps, but uh, the idea is there is that each of them represented what was probably to him a very, very small additional cost. You know, one additional page in the book or one or two additional pages. I don't know how long they are. Uh, about about six pages kind of okay, thing. But they're not, they're not that long. They're not that long. Uh, they're not so that, that expensive. They're very cheap in terms of word count. And some of these people are probably going, you know, I, I like you, Robin. I'll give you a fairly cheap rate for, for this. But it meant that each time he said, okay, do stretch goal, 
the stretch goal, the next stretch goal was not that far away from where people got to already, so it felt very achievable. For part number one. Number two, it brought in another creator who had his own audience and another motive to get out there and help more people to come back this project. Yeah. Right? So even if you weren't necessarily particularly uh, excited about uh, telling the stories of people who live in hills, um, as the name might suggest, um, you might be really excited about these 18 other ideas. Um, and since you're getting the same system, uh, then that, that, that can run every single one of these uh, along the ride. Boom. You, you've got a big motive to just keep pushing it further and further and further. Uh, so if you really uh, you created a very good game that people play by backing the Kickstarter. The fact that they're also getting another good game <laughs> uh, uh, at the end of the Kickstarter, well, that's almost the side effect here, right? Uh, you, you, get, you guys have done some amount of games on here, and, and uh, one, one of the things that um, Luke and Jared have said in some of their uh, seminars is that game design is mind control. Well, well, folks, Kickstarter is a game. Um, it's got at least two scores on there, and everybody gets to collaborate and make those scores tick up. Uh, and you've got, you know, then you've got milestones that you can celebrate and all this stuff. Apply game design thinking to how you design your Kickstarter, and you'll get some very interesting stuff out of it. That's the whole thing. We had done some similar things to that with Race to Adventures. There something um, I'm thinking of the there. transparent stretch goals. Yeah. Uh, Race to Adventure was interesting in that we kind of set up front what every single one of our stretch goals were. Um, and we are not, and, and also because we were dealing with board game land, <coughs> the, the cost of the base, uh, we were looking for $40,000 uh, funding into the baseline or something like that, I think. Um, and then our increments were actually fairly large, you know, another 10000 or 20000 to get through certain, certain things like that. Um, and uh, uh, based on the analysis I just gave you, uh, the uh, home book, and you can see some of the elements of where that strategy fell down a little bit for us, in that um, the stretch goals didn't always seem achievable. And by stating them up front, uh, uh, people looked at that and said, well, we aren't ever going to get there. Maybe. This is a theory. Uh, uh, so they weren't as motivated to strive to unlock the reveal, right? Um, because if they were being presented with a $60,000 goal after they had already gotten the $40,000, at that point they might go, okay, well, we've already done this much. We can get there. But if you're showing that to them when they're at zero, or 10, or 15, or 20, maybe they're not going to feel like that's as achievable, right? And you get me to think about the psychology in which you lay out these, these, these goals in front of people. Um, now, that said, we still did manage to hit at least our first stretch goal, or possibly our second one. Um, uh, so we did get there eventually, but it just, uh, uh, after uh, the Dinocalypse Kickstarter, where we had done stuff that was a bit more like what Robin did with Book, where we brought in new authors with their own audiences and creating a fairly small increments, $5,000 to achieve for uh, kind of things. Um, uh, uh, we had sort of different expectations of for, for how race adventure would behave. Um, uh, and it, would, it, it behaved to behave strongly, but it didn't behave mediocre, right? And uh, uh, I think if uh, you know, stepping back from that, like, comparing things like little books, uh, I, I, I see where some of that could have been used a little bit differently. Uh, I was curious what you thought the value of paid advertising was, hmm. particularly working week. We put, Royce, we put, sorry about talking around, 
check on this over here. Um, race adventure, we did advertise for the week. There are two things we did there. Um, one was sort of a straight up banner advertising by. Um, we were initially going to come in at $500 there, and but if uh, uh, talking with the advertising people there, um, we took it to 800 um, That would also get us a certain amount of front page positioning um, occasionally with some of the, with some of the like, graphics that would show up. Um, and we would also embed the Kickstarter widget for our Kickstarter project on the game's page on board making. So people want to research our, our game on there. You be right there, click over, make discovery, and click path a lot faster. Um, so we started that up. It was doing decently well. And uh, you know, look, looking at the uh, referrer tracking uh, information that you get during an active Kickstarter um, on our little console over on Kickstarter, it showed us that some of the that the, the, the back the tally of backing that we've gotten from people referred over to the project from from Game was getting pretty close to 800. So we were already close to essentially a zero sum. Um, one of the other things is you need to make sure that you talk to Game Geek about this early enough because they schedule these things multiple weeks out. Um, for twelve hundred dollars in the request, uh, you could run a contest with them, which uh, the way that contest, these sorts of contests work, uh, you work out, I think it's like five question questionnaire or something like that. It's multiple choice. But in order to uh, answer it, it correctly, they have to actually go over researching materials, watch your video, and so because the, the kinds of questions they're asking require going like seven minutes into the video, demoing it, and saying, oh, okay, so that, that, that's pretty cool. And yeah, a number of people are going to random guess it and so forth. But each one of those that gets answered correctly is an additional entry into the uh, contest. So they're, with each question, they get answered correctly, increasing their chances of winning. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, you say, okay, you know, the grand prize is going to be equivalent to the $400 contribution here, and the uh, you know, second prize is going to be equivalent to the $80 one. You know, you can work out how that goes. And that can be set up however. Um, so then that contest runs for a few weeks. And during that uh, time frame, people tend to be very interested in getting free ship, right? So uh, 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 they're <coughs> your page a lot more, um, and this tends to uh, cause your game to start showing up on the hotness. The hotness is a little sidebar, uh, and it's just sort of a natural side effect. Um, the hotness is a little sidebar on the front page of the board game game that lists the you know, 20 or 40 or however many games it is that people are looking at the most, thinking <coughs> about the most, Playing the most, clicking the most um, on, on board game game. Uh, and that can drive a lot of traffic. Um, by the end of that campaign, uh, we wrapped up, I think, just a few days before uh, the race adventure Kickstarter uh, uh, wrapped up itself. Um, we had gotten at least two thousand dollars total in backers uh, from board game game, which made both the eight hundred plus the twelve hundred dollars. Pretty much covered. Now, granted, we also had the cost of filling the, the, the backing, so it's not a true zero sum, but it got us pretty close. And the kind of discovery and, and the extent to which that put the game in people's minds, even people who didn't then come back with the project, um, was palpable. Now, that said, is there anything else 
like working geek out there that you can can motivate uh, like real trackable, palpable, or change? I, I don't know. Um, advertising generally doesn't work, which is why this experiment that we were doing with like, yeah, we can just that to um, uh, surprised the hell out of us, including uh, Chris Hannon, who's working with many who has like tons of game marketing experience. Um, uh, uh, we, neither of us were expecting it to, to, to zero sum before the project was done. Like, okay, maybe we get about half the fact. That would be awesome. You know, that's, uh, uh, that, that, that's still a very successful out of game thing, by the way, that sets in the um, uh, But we were, we were blown away. We're like, okay, well, that was essentially a no cost thing for us to do um, uh, in terms of the, the attention brought to the thing. And also, uh, Kickstarter, the, the number of of refers, referrals that get tracked by Kickstarter are tracked as we don't know where this came from. That's always the top one. Um, that's then, that's always the top one. The biggest percentage. So we don't know how many of our unknown refers were people were people from Morgan who don't like to let the browser send cookies and make them track them. Right? So we might have actually accrued a number of additional backers beyond the ones that we could explicitly track back for you. If you were to pie chart guest man basis the referral sources. At a high level, people that are in your fan base and found you that way versus people that discovered you uh, through third-party sites, maybe third category, people that discovered you on Kickstarter. Just Kickstarter users. Kickstarter does an interesting thing with their pie charting. Sure. Um, yeah, they actually uh, have a really useful tool on the back end of the Kickstarter that you're running, which does break out all that traffic. And including where they're coming from within Kickstarter. Uh, so there's there's discovery areas within Kickstarter, there's friend referral pages within Kickstarter, um, there's just random browsing through the... Yeah, and I think you can see anywhere from a third to like over half of your stuff coming from discoveries of Kickstarter. Absolutely. The, the, the one thing that. that Kickstarter I think does better than any other crowdfunding site is aiding the discovery process. Kickstarter is stealthily another social media site. Um, uh, and th that said, losing that thing, another major, major, major traffic source uh, that we have at least seen backers come from is Twitter. Yeah, I have uh, really high Twitter. Keep in mind, Twitter, that said, Twitter is the social media platform that I use the most. I have several thousand followers there. Um, yeah. uh, so if I'm talking about a project that I'm, that I'm working on, that's going to drive some traffic there, but there's also other people who are just going to randomly talk about, you know, oh, I just backed it, sorry, you guys can't do that, I need that I just backed this thing. So that, you know, it's not, it's certainly not just my follower account that, uh, that was right. Well, and of course, then there's, you know, fan retweets and things like that, which hit slightly wider audiences. But yeah, yeah. Right. Now, like, ability, if you send an announcement about your Kickstarter and one of your fans sends it into their stream, you're just hearing people that are not as funny here. So, yeah, there's a lot of... In terms of like being able to explicitly track, oh yes, fans of Galileo Games came to back your, your thing versus random discovers, that's very hard to figure out. Because most people, yeah. most people don't come along and self-report, oh yes, by the way, I came from your website, yeah, these, or I've heard of you before, and that's why I'm with us, like you're on. The number of people tracked from my website was low, but yeah. that's and completely yeah. understandable. But you can correlate their email addresses <laughs> You can try if you've got access to some sort of... Um, Database like you know customers who bought through your web store before you can try to cross reference that stuff if you want. Um, Kickstarter's uh, 
survey policy, uh, this is actually worth talking about for your, your procedure thing. After a Kickstarter wraps up, um, you are allowed for each of the work tier to send one survey on one survey only to make sure that you, uh, uh, you know, know all the questions you want to ask at any point in this and ask them all at the time that you're ready to start getting into some of the answers back. Um, but uh, in that surveying process, they explicitly disallow asking any questions that would get you demographic information. Right. They're not interested in farming demo information for you. They're interested in you getting delivery information. Do you get their email addresses? Uh, you do get the email address associated with their account. Um, well, there's uh, a lot of people who know some But there's some people who are like, uh, you know, BS plus Kickstarter at mydomain.com or something like that. So some of them are... Would you say a third to a half are from Kickstarter? Very, well, people on Kickstarter has like 12 or 16 different vectors by which somebody could discover through some sort of Kickstarter. But yeah, a third to a half. Uh, but they, they roll all that up and give you a budget that says non-Kickstarter source versus Kickstarter source. I'm generally and running different, third. Different, different project runners will, different projects will experience different issues there, but on the ones that I've seen and the ones that look at the shoulder up, um, I think, you know, I think the lowest I've ever heard of being is like a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I generally run about a third on mine. What is the actual uh, cost for using Cost? Uh, you can expect uh, between 3 to 5% of the transactional cost going to Amazon and the processor, a plan on five. And uh, Kickstarter's cut is always 5%. <coughs> um, so the, the cost of a failed project is nil. The cost of a failed project is nil. No. Swing and miss? Nothing. Yeah, they, they only take money when you make money. So. Yeah. I thought there were fees that were paid even if you failed. No, that, 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 that does show up on some other Kickstarter, uh, not Kickstarter, other crowdfunding sites. Um, but uh, since all that Kickstarter is doing financially, prior to the beginning of your project and collecting the authorization to charge someone's card, there's no actual financial, no actual money changed hands until your project wraps up. No and, they don't, and they don't make those charges unless you hit your minimum goal. So if you say you start a $10,000 project and then you get $8,000 in pledges, you're getting no dollars. And there's nothing for them to take a cut from. Um, so Kickstarter, Kickstarter only really ever, uh, yes, only ever takes uh, its cut from actual dollars changing hands. Um, they, they aren't going to charge you for filing the project. They aren't going to charge you for uh, trying and failing. If um, uh, they, they want to make the risk of failure as fear as fear free as they can, uh, because if you've got no sting from failing. Probably going to come around and try again. But well, yeah, Cindy's not here, but I know that she's talked about the fact that uh, a lot of times Kickstarter projects that have failed, people will go and rerun them after they've uh, reassessed and, the bugs and, and, re- and re- refigured it. And a lot of times those second <coughs> runs at them uh, succeed. And one of the reasons is all of those people who backed it the first time are, you know, they still wanted to see they still wanted to they succeed, it. right? They backed it because they wanted to see the product. Okay. And uh, they get a lot of repledging, you get a lot of repledging. So those people that backed you the first time are not lost, right? Just because the project failed. They're they're still interested in what you're doing. Yeah. And if you've managed to restructure it so that it will succeed, then generally they'll be back again. 
And even if you fail, do you still get like the, the email information so you can keep them informed? You can. Whatever? I believe you can contact them through the Kickstarter system. Yeah. yeah but you, you do not actually get their email addresses that you can take into a, a spreadsheet or something. Yeah. The, the, I, I believe what, the logic is there is that you don't really need their email addresses to deliver anything to them if you want to so again, remember that the, if, if Kickstarter is letting you get access to information, it's because they want to aid your delivery to the factories where they also support. Right, but every Kickstarter you run, you do then have people in the Kickstarter system that you have access to. I mean, I would avoid spamming them too much. But if, yeah. if it's a related project, I, I ran a role-playing game project, and then I was doing a fiction project based on that same property. I sent out a notice to everybody who backed the role-playing game about the fiction project because it's something that would, might be of interest to them. But don't you have like a regular marketing list that you that you send notices about everything to make it relevant? Right, exactly. Um, how long after a, a Kickstarter campaign does it succeed, uh, would you, is this Kickstarter related to reboot the campaign? I've seen some pro- projects turn it around very rapidly. They just sit, you know, basically like, oh, our last attempt got funding. It got got promises up to fourteen thousand dollars, but we were asking for twenty five. Um, we spent a week with the spreadsheet. We figured out ways to make this work. If we get only fourteen thousand dollars, so now we're wanting to go cheaper than ten thousand dollars. Don't put basically the same message. Um, that's the cheapest, quickest kind of uh, uh, launch. Um, uh, I'm not always a fan of that because uh, I don't feel like lessons are being learned there, other than the oh, this only that has a ten thousand dollars of interest. Kind of uh, that, that thing there. I, there are things about your message. There are things about your uh, reward tiers. Your reward tiers that are. That are that I, I would say take the time to consider every single piece of, of what you did before, and and ask how did this contribute to the missing part. Um, uh, uh, you know, it may be that on the other side of it, our reward tiers are perfectly fine. Um, we just. We, we just thought that this would have the level of interest to at least get to work more later on. Um, but I think very often there's a little bit more to it. Uh, I have another question. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, I was just wondering uh, when you did your first uh, big Kickstarter campaign, did you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night to check the progress of the details? Yes. Is there any cure for that? Yeah, is there a cure for that? Yeah. Run three of them? Bottle of scotch and volume? Yeah, you know, um, there, there gets to... I think after you run your second one, uh, it doesn't necessarily cure the itch to, to do that, but you've at least got some of the weariness of, oh, God, I'm running another Kickstarter. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of work. It is. It, 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 it's, it's a ton of work. And, you know, this is this is the cheat game part of it, right? Um, okay. uh, this, is, this, is, this is the distraction. Um, and so long as it's doing well and you're communicating regularly, you know, play that game if you like. You know, check, 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 check it on your phone while you're flying out and about, but don't make it a point of what you're doing in your right? At least be watch. At least be clicking reload while you're watching television, or you know, something. Like that. Have another thing that you're doing while you're doing this, or, or else everything is about watching two numbers increase. Why did you stop backing us? Why did you lower your pledge? Yeah, it, 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 it'll, it'll chew on you. Yeah. Especially the, the pledge cancellations that we're getting. It'll chew on you if you, if you let that stimulate you regularly. Yeah. I know, I'm sure you'll just look. That's going to be my 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, we did not see that much at all with our fiction thing. We saw it mm-hmm. a fair amount with our board game thing, but you know, with fiction, people could buy it at the $10 level and get ebooks galore. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of reason to walk away from it all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, they really actually get the physical game entry level um, on Race Adventure was $40, which mm-hmm. I think is something that, that, that a lot more people were willing to walk away from if they felt they didn't have uh, so you know, just be aware that the higher your sort of entry level uh, uh, is, the more likely that someone's going to have a good idea on it. But yeah, that's part of the, the, the loveliness of Kickstarter too, is that they have the ability to make that decision. Um, whereas, for example, if you go to them, like, just walk you in. Sorry, you, you, you paid the $40 for it. You know, that's, that's part of why I think that um, you, you mentioned it here, some people are like, well, yay, so it's foreign, uh, you know, uh, foreign <coughs> and many others are like, ooh, Indiegogo. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I, think, I think there's a, there's a bigger barrier to pledging mm-hmm. when you know it's going to come out of your bank account that day yeah. than when it may be. You, you know the collection is coming out three I weeks from now. I can buy $43 over the next three weeks. Exactly, but it's not right now. So mm-hmm. I think that actually does encourage yeah, does. people to, to that. It's not real money yet. Surely I'll have random spendable money by the time. <laughs> and you know, on that note, just to wrap that part of it up, um, we will see some pledges that don't resolve right, um, the, uh, at the at the end of the Kickstarter. Kickstarter's going to wrap up. And they're going to take what is it a week? Usually about a week. Mm-hmm. They take Kickstarter takes about a week to they, they charge everything. The, the, everyone usually within the first twenty four hours. But then uh, there's some some percentage of small percentage usually of. Uh, Backers whose credit cards didn't have a rebuildable balance, or some some of the banking information was wrong and it was right enough to get the authorization. Uh, and Kickstarter works to resolve those. Of course, to you're skirting the line when somebody can't pay for that. No, no, no. You got the pledges at that point. Yeah, the financial trans- once the financial transactions start happening, they're happening. They're happening. Uh, and uh, I have to say, I've been on both sides of that because I had an error in my Amazon payments account where uh, a lot of the I backed like three Kickstarters and they all resolved in the same week and they all three failed. And it took me three weeks to resolve that yeah. problem. Yeah, so I wasn't able to actually pay for all of them, but I got all the emails. Kickstarter sends you about two or three emails trying to get you to sort out the problem from mm-hmm. Amazon. Um, yeah, so yeah, what, what so happens it's like less than 5% of issues like that, or uh, to sometimes, me, sometimes only like 1%. Yeah, some, but I, I don't think we we keep in mind that the two Kickstarters that people have run directly, um, we had made $40,000 and they made $50,000 or $60,000 in the other one, so it's out of, out of that dollar figure. We were usually seeing only a few hundred dollars worth of lost money. Right. Sometimes it was just because the one guy who pledged at the four hundred dollar level um, had to pay rent, right. <laughs> and, and that, that was then his bank balance that his card was tied to dropped below that. Yeah. I really see like maybe one to two percent of actual failed transactions out of the number of people who back. Yeah. When it hurts is when it's the five hundred dollar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that'll that'll happen. Though. It did um, happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have one of these flesh over promise. Yeah. And you know, they, they think they can make it, but they can't. Yeah. Oh well. 
Yeah, you got to be able to roll with that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there are a lot of potential incidental costs or cost-like things. Yeah. Related. Could you talk? Give horror stories and discussion about shipping, especially international. Yes. Oh yeah, my uh, my famous uh, Italian package that cost me ninety dollars to ship. How much did they budget for that ninety dollar package? Twenty five. Yep. Yep. It was returned to me three times. Thank you, Italian Postal Service, because the address was verified and re-verified and re-verified three times, and I kept getting returned. It took over like eight months to resolve that and finally get the book out of them. Yep, I have a fan for life. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, when, when, when something like that starts going, this is actually bigger than Kickstarter is the topic, but something like that starts happening and it's an opportunity for you to make a do, do not get the negative elements of that foggy down. Hopefully, that, you know, those extra costs are getting covered by some of the padding that you've worked into, how you've talked about your there's a thing uh, I posted about on my blog, www.com, called uh, preparing for worst case success or something to that effect. Just look for worst case success and having to move a lot of the show. And it's the thing that happens when your project funds, but uh, the costs of fulfilling your stuff is way larger than you uh, expected. Um, so, uh, in order to handle this, you need to put a fair amount of time into working the algebra problem. Of uh, saying, okay, let's assume that, God forbid, 100% of my backers are abroad, and instead of, and, you know, I've got, I've got, let's say, a $30 game um, for shipping to domestically. I've added $10 to that, so I've got $40 here, and I ask for international backers to add $10 on top of that. Uh, to cover the additional costs. Now, I think $20 on, say, like a little board game box thing is not too unreasonable for many international destinations. You're really looking for that to average out uh, because you will get the additional $90 problem or the shipment to Australia that costs $50 um, or something like that. But hopefully you've thrown in enough backers from enough different places that any of your, any, any slush you've got left over from uh, you know, shipping something for $6 domestically goes into that little buffer for that. But anyway, so let's say that you've got your $30 game and $20 worth of upcharge on that. So you've got a $50 pledge that increased your backer account, your backer tally, uh, uh, a dollar tally by 50 bucks. It's really actually only giving you $30 towards what you're doing. Okay, so $20 at 50, that's 40%. Now, so that, that's the thing that's always happening. Okay, now 40% of my target, say it's $10,000, um, so $4,000, it's going towards something that doesn't get the game printed, doesn't pay for any of my costs other than shipping to all of these different people. Um, if the $6,000 went away, you need to take 10% off for Amazon and Kickstarter. You've got to work through all of those different different things that are going to be nibbling at it. And if the dollar figure that you're left over in this worst case scenario is something that you can still get your project completed with, you are set to handle worst case success. Um, uh, but a lot of people uh, misassess their costs. Uh, it, you know, they decided, oh, it would be great to have a t-shirt here. 
that t-shirts can be really costly and you're also doing lots of different size things and, and so forth. So unless you've got, the t-shirts, unless yeah. you've got the people who are willing to pay for it, you know, get the $100 t-shirt. Um, in terms of like the percentage of that, well, maybe it costs you 16 bucks to do that, that t-shirt and you think, well, I shouldn't charge you more than $25 for it. Problem is, think about how, that percentage wise, right? How much is sixteen dollars as a percentage of twenty five? I'm not going to do that. It's much. Um, uh, now imagine that that's the thing that people get excited about, right? Then suddenly you've got a huge cost in it that has absolutely nothing to do with printing your actual primary product. Right. Um, so really, uh, in terms of like adding swag or whatever you want to call it to your project, you want to look for stuff that actually does not cost you very much at all. Um, electronic goods are good for that. Um, little tchotchkes like patches and pins. Um, so you can, uh, you can use those in bulk and at very low cost. Yeah. And maybe you'll have them as nice little commercial giveaways that you can put other contexts later on and maybe you can sell them. To really think about how do I make, how do I add something new that's cool that people are willing to spend $20 more uh, but doesn't cost me more than about 25% of whatever that, that bump up is. Um, because it, it, for, it, it, in my mind, the, the, the best way to kind of structure for worst case success is to make sure that all of your possible ways that people buy in, it's not going to leave you with like a 40% chunk taken out, but more like a 25% chunk. Yeah. I think that's a good rule. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. Rule. So that also, you, you invert that fraction, it means that uh, you definitely need $10,000. International is a nightmare. <laughs> One reason you might want to consider uh, finding at least even just temporarily a, a fulfillment uh, service, uh, which you could potentially do through an operation like IPR, um, uh, or but there are many others that will do this, um, uh, is not having to do the paperwork necessary for every single 
international package. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff you've got to draw on the customs. And very often the forms are ones that you can't print. Now, I think if you have like a stamps.com account, uh, you can, have, you can you actually fill yeah, the forms. Yeah, but I think you still have to manually enter a lot of that. You have to enter, you have to enter in a huge amount of information to uh, make customers decide that you are not shipping any tracks. I do have to say, though, as far as like, I, since I do typically use the postal service, I don't lose a big percentage of my package in order I get a lot back. Yeah, yeah. It's relatively. Yeah, and even even the, I think in most of my Kickstarters where I'm shipping out 200 to 300 packages, one or two I have problems, which yeah. is not too bad. So I mean, the, the thing though is that realize realize the kind of time investment. This is not just a money consideration here. There's also a huge amount of uh, time that goes into this. And uh, back in 2006, was prior to Kickstarter's business, we had done a. Uh, pre-order for start of the century, uh, and it sold hundreds more than we expected it to. And uh, uh, Brennan was running IPR at the time, uh, and I got the printing in at my house. And I, you know, over the course of that pre-order, and had, you know, uh, been running it through IPR. So I'm like, okay, Brennan, we're, we're, we're going to ship this out. I'm going to drive up from New Jersey with my truck full of books, and we're going to ship it out. And uh, I very much enjoyed being with his family. I very much enjoyed hanging out and talking with him in his uh, you know, living room. Where, dining room where we were doing all the dining We covered every surface with books. <laughs> and the two of us working these things and some custom forms got filled out and so forth. And the little taste of the custom forms that I had then is why I never again did anything that involved me having to ship. Yes. Um, I did appreciate all your help. Even one additional person cuts that fine in half. Exactly. Right? Right. Um, but you know, maybe you've got a fulfillment uh, that you, know, you can do a little short-term contract with a fulfillment house that can throw four people at the fault and get all the books out in a day. Well, how much happier are your backers going to be in that circumstance? Right. Instead of it going like, yeah, uh, I've got a day job, I work really late, I've got two kids. I work through uh, 40 packages today. Work, I work through yeah. 40 packages today. That's a victory. Wait, that's... Two percent of right, the exactly. yeah. and, you know, uh, the backers don't get very happy when they start hearing about some backers getting their stuff, and it's still going to be four weeks before they get. Their stuff. <coughs> um, uh, so definitely think about the like the customer service experience that's happening with that. Yeah, when I did mine, uh, I actually did fulfill it through RPG now. Yes, which they just started to right. to do. Yeah. Oh my god, what a, it was so good! It was, just, it was all their problem. I gave them a list of addresses and emails and everything like that. There are many people out there willing to take a fairly small fee and, sort of and, and take a fairly large headache off your hands. Yeah, and, and it was, it was so worth the money to, to just say... Like, for example, if you, if you used uh, the folks currently running FBR, DOJ um, Logistics, uh, for this, they're going to charge you about a buck per package. This is a handling fee on top of the postage. We talked about a buck per package plus twenty cents per item or something like that. Um, for the, yeah, for the for, for, for the for, for the pack, yeah, pack. you can also pay on top of that. You'd be paying for like packaging supplies, which would be paying for yourself, um, and and the actual cost of shipping. But um, uh, in terms of peace of mind, in terms of the ability to like walk away and go, oh, a week later, all of this shipped, and I've had to do this. Okay, start shipping it. Here's the list. 
the only the only thing with RPG now they they won't ship the post office boxes. So you have when you collect your your mailing addresses, you have to specify that to your people. Because I ended up having a short, relatively short. That's probably means you're using something like UPS. They're, they're not using the post office. They're not using the post office to ship. The post office will ship. All I know is very expensive. They, I just I gave them a list. They said this is the, the amount. I said hold the It's possible that they've got a. a they probably it's possible that they've got some sort of um, partnership or setup where they well yeah high volume shippers doing the shipping is doing high enough volume because they do they lightning source so probably yeah. yeah yeah high volume shippers like like they are like uh, yeah or even if the, they, even if the most they run it directly through lightning source and ship yeah. up and yeah lightning source actually does very affordable shipping because yeah, I, I was, I was well, they're Ingram they're Ingram right and they, so they, they ship they stuff they around ship, the country ship, every day yeah, they yeah. ship hundreds of thousands of books every day so even the international stuff was amazingly inexpensive yeah yeah great um questions more questions how much what are we doing for our first hour oh one hour down alright <laughs> Do we want to take a quick break? Or? Yeah, let's let's take a five minute get something so that I don't break But one of the things I want to talk about is uh, retail support. Yay! Uh, yes. Uh, so this is not something that every Kickstarter is going to be able to offer, um, and is part one of the reasons why you want to get all of your accurately estimated, figured out in advance uh, as possible because there's uh, there's a there's just a little uh, bit of algorithm that you can apply to it. Look at the cost it's going to take you to produce a unit, not ship it, produce a unit of whatever you're making. Um, multiply that by five. Is that number higher than the cover price you're planning on putting on your, on your thing? It is probably couldn't sell it into retail very very affordably anyway. Um, but if you've got uh, if you've got costs such, such that you can still make a decent profit if you're selling your your book, your game, whatever at, at half off. Uh, and when I say decent profit I mean that uh, for every unit you sell in that way still managing to pay for the production of two of them, which is why I'm giving this little one flyer five. Um, so say you've got a, uh, a book, that's why it's going to 25. Hopefully your cost to produce each individual one of those books is $5 or less. Um, uh, so that then you sell it for $12.50, you're still making at least $5 on top of the $5 it's paying for the making of the book, right? Um, now, you dig into that math a little bit, um, you'll, you'll notice that I could have said multiply by four and then that would still work out. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll still work out, but it won't be absolutely buffed for all the other ones that are going to have to off the top of the sign to support distribution, which you know, may be trying to get into uh, as well. But anyway, that's, this, is, this is actually publishing stuff, information more than the Kickstarter specifically. I understand why you're standing up, I just don't want to complain in my head. So, uh, so let's say that that map has already been, you're already planning on uh, having your game at some point retail available. And, uh, and you've also um, you know, looked, at, looked at the cost and the cost that you're trying to cover with your Kickstarter and your uh, funding. It's already at the point where that all, that, that math equation that I said uses the answer that was green and not red. Um, uh, at that point, um, you're ready to consider doing retail support. Your Kickstarter. If you can't make that math work, 
don't say as much. Say, uh, say, you know, retailers, we would love to be able to get our game into your store, however, we can't offer it at a 50% discount. Um, because our cost is actually just a few dollars to get what we're buying you at. Um, you know, some, some people are doing such small programs that that's what we're doing. Uh, but again, so let's assume the best case. Uh, what you want to do uh, is uh, provide a retail tier that doesn't have too many copies. Um, and uh, who wants to guess how many too many copies is for the most game retail store? Let's say four. Four, 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 is, four is actually about as, four, four to six is an ambitious number to try to put on a single uh, uh, retail shelf. Um, so uh, it can get very tricky to figure out. Well, how do I how do I offer a tier that's a meaningful number of copies, especially if I'm probably going to be thinking about at least some of the specific costs to get it to um, But that's part of where that equation that I said you have to have done already helps you out because think of these uh, re- these retailer buy-ins as uh, a marketing expense more than anything. Um, you're going to get. Uh, you're going to get books onto the books or a box game or whatever onto a shelf uh, uh, somewhere that's going to increase the awareness of your product. And for a lot of games, once Kickstarter is done, Kickstarter is no longer, or at least it's much less of an engine of the discovery of the thing that they've been fixed, right? So you'll see some things go, yay, 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 Kickstarter! This will start with the only thing driving the discovery. Post uh, once, once your Kickstarter is over, you're, you're looking at, well, now how do I get people to continue to discover this game? It's only the month That's why it's in the realm of regular marketing. <laughs> that's regular marketing. <laughs> but that is why you would want to put in a retail tier, because that's going to help the front of that. That's going to, that's going to get the person who's walking through the game story. Ooh, a flying monkey. Let me look at this. Okay, I think that's As a retailer, uh, yeah, the four to six copies is depending on the product that's going to be uh, Yeah, there's a very, very Typically, we're looking at a uh, small game, bringing in a copy to start with the most interesting market that you can go Even if you can't afford to put a retailer support that can't be a Kickstarter, you have a way to build a game that eventually will be available at retail through distribution mm-hmm. at some point. There are plenty of stores that maybe that they might be unwilling to pop in for four or six copies uh, and give the start with, but we certainly do want to be added to the distribution order when it doesn't change the machine. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is the, the worst thing you can possibly do about um, retail is nothing and look like you didn't even think about it. Um, retailers are going to be, well, maybe, <laughs> friendly might be an overly generous way of putting it that <coughs> in some cases, but uh, uh, they're going to be more receptive to your game if it looks like you at least thought through the math of, the, of their involvement at some point and then took the time to communicate to them about it. So even if you're not putting in a retail tier, explain why you be towards the bottom of your story page, you can be in the back or whatever, uh, like, uh, but make it at least clear that you've thought about this and uh, make it clear for how those retailers, importantly, how those retailers will be able to find your stuff um, after, after it all wraps up. I will say that there are some retailers who seem fairly hostile. Yeah, and just, you know, there are some retailers who say, if I see a product, 
Okay. Like Kickstarter, I'm not going to order for my Sharpie, but I assume that all the demand is already been set up. There are quite a few retailers who. The retailers who do come back to you are golden because they are the early adopters. They are the ones who want to be known in their local community. I think generally have discoverers. Right. And I think they have generally built a community of role play or just play in general at their store, and that's why they have a market. And while they're willing to tie up money that could be used to buy product, sell product, buy product, sell product over and over again during the time frame that it takes you to get your getting stuff, actually putting stuff in, what were you going to say? You covered the whole uh, turnover, you know, like that's money they could use to put something on shelves or whatever. Yeah. But at least with the retailers, even if they're, they're waiting on the product, you can get the PDF out to them and yeah. go, look, this is the thing. And or, or this way, if, if there's a way for them to get promotional materials, yeah, yourself, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. learn more about the game and talk yeah. about their. Well, and they've, they've essentially provided you an indication that they're interested in that product, yeah. so you know, help them support it. Yeah. But uh, but if you can, if, if, if you can work out uh, retails here uh, for like uh, two to four copies um, with an uh, option to add more copies by adding more to their pledge, that's fifty uh, percent of whatever your your price of sale is going to be. Um, is going to go a long way in terms of goodwill. Um, you know, we were fairly ambitious with our board game and had a six copy and a twelve copy here, and we still got um, retail children to go in it. But we had a good brand behind it and other things like that. But uh, so there's so there's some some sliding around it. But I think for most small, fairly undiscovered, uh, uh, fairly unknown, uh, uh, like role game projects, you're going to want to look more than that too. Uh, one related note, uh, it was the Glory to Rome Kickstarter. One of their uh, options for shipping was we will ship your copies to a FLGS. Uh, and the the store will distribute your Kickstarter copy, okay. which I believe means that they could ship five copies in oh. a city to one FLGS and drag five people into the store Cutting down their shipping costs, which might have made retail you, you, viable for you them. You've got to have that retailer definitely on board with that. Some retailers will think through how that is a sales opportunity for them and be happy with it. Others will say, well, I'm not getting I'm not your distribution. The smart ones would. Yeah. <laughs> not all retailers are smart, I can say. Yeah. So, um, so one one thing you could do, you know, let, let's say you're in the case where you can't afford to get stuff in retail. Maybe you can put the message out there such that if any retailer is willing to be a recipient of this, tell us and we will put your name up on this web page that we're linking to right here. Um, you know, that, 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 that's an actual, uh, force of natural selection in the, in a potentially competitive, uh, LGS market, um, where, you know, the store wants to get listed on there because it's telling, you know, anyone who's in the Kentucky area or wherever it is their store happens to be, um, uh, that they are the ones that is awesome enough to be this receiving destination. And, and so with the our Kickstarter aware and we're looking for this to collaborate with. It also offers like a small to the retail exclusive thing for when you pick up the book. Yeah, if you want to pick up the book, we'll also send you like some of our products or, you know, a, 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 if the Kickstarter exclusive expansion will give you a small number of copies to actually sell in your store. 
question I get for one thing I've considered doing is uh, any order of six or more, we will throw in some kind of tabletop display stand or something like that. That can be good too. That can be good. It depends on the store. You know, yeah, some yeah. stores don't have any kind of space for that. Yeah. 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 We have to make space for something that the, 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 yeah. we're paying for every inch. Yeah, yeah. you have to be very careful about marketing collateral just, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of its footprint. Maybe you can give like a bookmark that they can keep in the stack next to the register. That's a much better footprint, and it's also the sort of thing that you know any any time someone's buying something in a store, there's the pause, and you got to give them something to do with their hands while they're hanging on the register. And that's why there's a lot of dice around the register. Um, but you know, lots of little small things work, work there. So uh, a small marketing asset. Is going to potentially give you more value if it's something that someone can pick up and fiddle with, look at, stuff in the bag, whatever, at the time that they're buying something that's good. What's the best way to verify a retail as opposed to just somebody who wants a bunch of half price copies for the That's a good question. Um, first off, scare off the cheats by saying in your retail tier, this is for verified retail as well. That self selects quite nicely. You can verify <laughs> um, yeah, you can verify through a distributor. Uh, you can say, "Look, give us your give us your address and your website, and we're going to look at this thing, look for actual photographic, you know, evidence that the store exists at that location that you're giving." And, you know, verify Satellite. Um, <laughs> or, or you can actually do do the crazy thing of trust. You know, because if your math is such that you're able to support a retail share in the first place, that's still profit, and that's still four copies of your game that's going to get out there somewhere. Even for a while, this is just a case where you're talking about large Yeah, I mean, uh, we while our on Race Adventure, we've got uh, of the thousand copies that that Kickstarter moved for us, uh, about 200 of them went for retail, but we're talking about like a little bit over a dozen retailers total covering coming down. Yeah, so that's the number of retailers is not high. Right. And that's an amount that you can verify. Right. Can you can verify manageably, or again, you can simply go, you know, this is a they So long as I've scared them off, you know, they said they're trespassing, but I don't actually get the security guard to show up. Um, you know, I don't really so show up. You know, you're, you're, you're still going to be making the profit, and if someone really wants to figure out a way to cheat you, they'll figure out a way to do it through something other than that. So, you know, it's at least you're collecting on a nice type. How does the, the multiple uh, retailer tier, how did that work? Having, having, having two different tiers. The reason we did two different tiers was I wanted to offer a lower quantity where um, the retailer just picked up a small amount of the shipping and, uh, and a higher quantity tier where we would pick up all the shipping. Um, this is a little bit of retailer psychology that I've learned over the years. Um, if, um, if a retailer can come in, it, it was already thinking, oh, I'll go into about this level, but then they see going just a little bit more gets some free shipping. Free shipping is a really nice, nice better. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an extra treat, uh, uh, and it potentially, you know, if, if they have a reasonable expectation that they'll be able to improve all the copies that they get when they bump up, um, uh, that free shipping, uh, uh, that the absence of that shipping charge means that they just have a few more percentage points uh, to be able to play with, and every percentage point is lifeblood for for retail in terms of the market. So. That's, that's why it is okay. Um, uh, but for a number of things, you may just need to say, yeah, we're going to do 50% off four books, and it's going to be free shipping, and just ship it media mail, and, and, and manage your shipping costs. Yeah. How do you actually list that on your Kickstarter site? Uh, you can't feel 
without making the book like, oh, Cheaper for like everybody's gonna look at that. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I listed, I identified it explicitly as only for retailers, and then in, in the facts section um, mm-hmm. at, the, at the bottom of the list, I, I, asked, I almost always put early on the question, why are retailers getting things at 50% off? And then I give them this kind of an explanation of how the economics of retail work and 100% mm-hmm. is the standard that that's very much what any companies are In order to be inclusive to retailers, we want to support. You, know, you also talk about your motivation. We want to support bigger more retail uh, stores. We, we love our FLGSs. We want, we want them to stay in business. This is how we do it. Um, and you know, and uh, if people are still not accepting it after that, well, they can either cheat yet or they can go through. And if they do, so what? Yeah. Um, what about the idea of having retailers contact you separately and not posting it on? You can do that too. Yeah. You can do um, that too. It's yeah. a, it, the, the reason I like putting it on there is uh, there's no guarantee that a retailer will take time to contact you. Right. It, it, you're you're um, going to get it, it, the fewer steps that anybody has to take, including yourself. Yeah. The better off. The first thing that a retailer can do, in all likelihood, when they come to your your page after making the determination that yes, this is something that people in my store might be interested in, is scan that right hand column. Or where's the retail there? Where's the retail there? Where's the retail? Maybe they'll hit you know, command F or whatever, like in retail, and that'll jump them down to the bottom of the page. We've got a little bit of message that says, hey, you know, if you're a retailer, come back to me. That message is way more visible than, than it would work here. Um, so I, I just try to cover it, cover as broad spectrum as possible, and, and giving it through tra- through trapping the information in a here is the most effective way I think. I think the, the other thing to mention on that is on the back end, anything that's happening outside of the Kickstarter system is one more thing you've got to remember at the end. Add back into your spreadsheets and to deal with the fulfillment, right? Yeah. Because this has happened to me before where there's, you know, and it happened, and unfortunately I did it to other people. When my Amazon payments failed, I contacted everybody off the list saying, listen, my Amazon payments failed. I really wanted to back this. Can I still back it? Now, I caused them a pain in the ass because they were usually like, yeah. That means that they had to take my information from a separate source, re-integrate it back in. The more of that that there is, the you know, you want to minimize that as much as possible. The yeah, more automation here, the better. So, all bad customer experience. Yeah, uh, Kickstarter has the option where you can note particular uh, backers. Uh, all that all that does is put uh, uh, text in one cell of that row. For that backer that has already backed your your your, your, uh, your project, right? Um, so what are you? Sorry, so what, what are you? Well, uh, we're we're running a Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. and, and our our solution to the retailer issue was putting a little tag, you know, at the very bottom, mm-hmm. um, you know, contact us for information. And how, then how well does that work? Uh, well, it's day three, so I'm not. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how it works, um, but there there's an option in Kickstarter to let you put a tag in, and then that's where we're saying retailer wants to send a copy. Can you tell us where your Kickstarter is? So everyone oh yeah, yeah, the Zombies One Hundred and One is our Kickstarter. We're, we're demonstrating the game here, uh, so we have to check um, But it's, it's only our third day into that. We've had uh, we've had a request on the, the retailer already, but it's not been uh, a flood of retailers. Yeah. I, I would never, even when you're putting it in as a reward chair, I wouldn't expect a flood. I haven't run a Kickstarter campaign yet, but any retail pledges through the Kickstarter, wouldn't that also count towards your goal? Wouldn't yeah. you, yeah, wouldn't yeah, you yeah, want to do that? that is the end you want to have that yeah. to yeah. hopefully get your full pledge. What, what I've added, like, 
retail out of the back. What I did was I had a retailer in the back at the uh, no contribution level, but actually usually they're putting in a significant dollar amount. Right? Yeah. That makes them jump out, and I'm still tracking all, all the information. There, um, there, is, Kenny, there is a, uh, we started it this year uh, at the trade show. Uh, we found the crowdfunding friendly retailer mailing list. Yes, oh. this, this is actually something to know about, is oh, that yeah. if your Kickstarter is uh, it, and actually, you guys should just walk over and Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to get swamped at that. <laughs> they're, but they're giving a talk tonight. So Good. 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 But yeah, uh, uh, if you know of a retail store that has uh, uh, contributed to the Kickstarter before, ask them about this thing. <coughs> um, uh, because well, I'll tell you what, retailers love to talk to each other about the, the deals they are or are not getting. And, and the companies that are or are not serving them. Um, it's like the other good list. Uh, and you know what? The really great thing you can do is that if you've got a contact in retail, which you will after this, yeah. um, is that every time you're planning on running a Kickstarter, show them the preview page and say, is this sufficiently friendly? Would you back this? And at least you'll get a reasonable expectation out of that. You know, something, something you can but yes, yes, I, I heard about the existence of that um, uh, in the West. Um, I'm in contact with enough retailers and regularly that I think our stuff tends to get a little bit pretty quick. So, um, uh, but yeah, if you, if you don't have that kind of contact, find a retail store that has done any kind of Pixar support in the past, even if it's just to get in on the over. Um, and and uh, talk to them about what sorts of things they need to see uh, in order to do that. Either post launch, but you still might be able to do some of that change. I know you can add here that the fact that it looks like what I'm carrying. What do you prefer? What do you prefer in terms of you, you like seeing it as a retail tier represented on the project? or That is where I look. Yeah. When I'm looking for that, uh, on Kickstarter, uh, I look in that pledge and see if I see. You search the page very much for information for, for on that. Generally, no. Right. Keep in mind, retailers, uh, one of the reasons that retailers like to use distributors, instead of, in a lot of cases, instead of going directly to the publisher, even though that sometimes they can get a deal with the publisher for a little bit more percentage, is the time saver. And anything you can do to speed up their discovery of, oh, yes, there's a retail here, I can make a quick decision, click, and through, is the greater likelihood you're going to should we do something like have a two-hour retailer's tier that doesn't get them anything except for the contact? Yes, yes, you could in fact put that, put that there. Be, and the nice thing about that is it just ends up towards the top, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so put in a two-dollar tier, say, uh, uh, retailers, please back at this level and contact us to discuss the size that your pledge needs to be for the number of copies here. Yeah, that would work as well. Right. Yeah, could you guys talk a little bit about the use of um, you know some reviewers who do preview reviews for a game that's on Kickstarter, like a Tom Vassell or Undead Viking, those kind of guys, and how much it costs to have them do something like that for you, and whether you think that's a good direction to go or not. I feel a little skewed by the review for pay um, feature that seems to exist with some of that. Um, I'm much more interested in someone giving a less than one review of something because I sent them that prototype 
but it's like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to an extent, uh, if someone is excited enough to review your thing, uh, they're going to they're just going to say some positive things about it, that and some people come back to project. Um, if they know the, the the time frame in which your project is going to go live, that's that's a that, that's a good piece of information to get on with it because. Or actually, more importantly, by when it would conclude. So, if that essentially applies to them from the deadline for getting a bulk of the or whatever. So, we actually did get a mention on deep debt, I think, for Waste Adventure. Um, and we had met with one of the, uh, the bloggers on, on the on the deep debt blog at Tax East uh, several months before Waste Adventure got launched. I also mailed him. Prototype, um, uh, somewhat after the fact uh, of, that, of that conversation, while the Kickstarter was going, and he played it again to kind of refresh himself on what it was in the the article. And that article came out like just a few days before that project ended. Um, but it was it was genuine. I was giving him content. I was letting him be excited and excited about it. And if he wasn't excited about it, he wasn't going to write something that was going to be particularly valuable. So anyway. Um, yeah, I, I would said, I have heard some people talk about um, Basil and, and, and Joe, as you do, with the more of a scheme, uh, as, you know, excited to hear about this and, and, and enjoying the kind of 360-degree tour that you get out of that. I mean, they're... I would liken it more to temporarily hiring a salesperson to work for your company and produce a promotional video in terms of the experience at the end yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to determine, you know, for, for a first-time uh, designer, first-time Kickstart project, it might be hard to get them to do something for you as a valid review because yeah. they got all this other stuff well, that you're again, paying them. That, that, that actually comes to the whole time thing, right? I mean, some, some of what you're paying for there is the person's taking enough time. To actually do the review, yeah. Good or not, you know, I just don't know that. I trust the end results to be unbiased you, as, as a backer. Right. Do you think that would be a better way to go than paying for banner ads or paying for the contest or whatever because it's still giving somebody... If you're, if, if you're doing something that is aimed square at the heart of working geek, I would still choose the methods that I talked about earlier um, over, uh, over something. And in fact, saying this, I didn't make that choice. I did choose working geek over any other paid uh, strategy uh, for a straight measure. Um, uh, really, uh, that question I don't think can be answered without saying, you know, something like how, how much have you studied your potential audience for your game here, and who do they listen to, mm-hmm. right? Because that's really the first question: is who, where, where is our audience? Where does the audience for this live? And how do I find them? And where are they getting their information? And who are the authorities there? Yeah. And can I walk up to those authorities and offer them a prototype and a, you know several months in advance peek at a game? Um, and get a you know, reasonable expectation that they're going to blog about it or, or talk about it on social media even yeah. or something. Um, or, or is that going to be facing an invoice? Right. Um, and that'll, that'll tell you the kind of product, you're, the end product you're going to get out of you know, that account. Um, and some of them will dub out. Some, you know, some people will say, oh yeah, I've done that. Let me do that. that. that that's the nature of marketing. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a lot of babies and hips. Brandon, you talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like a lot of folks here are in the 
working space, but definitely in the RPG world. So any uh, role-playing game specific? Not a question, but yeah, I was sort of was and will be role-playing game specific. Adventures Dark and Deep. What if Derek Igex had written second edition? Okay. So do you have any specific questions that haven't been covered? Well, go to, I, I, I came in late, so I gather the discussion about advertising already happened. Yeah, well, we're talking about board game meetings specifically. Yeah, we're talking about board game meetings specifically. I, I think there are fewer uh, reliable venues for advertising for role playing. Yeah, and usually the problem is the population is small and spread out right now. Um, you can do uh, banner. I've used them ads on RPG. I have done ads on RPG. They were not particularly effective. And so I had pretty much stopped doing that. To be frank, RPGNet and RPGD are the only places I could think to do it. To do it, right. And maybe these days it's actually would be more effective, even though it's more D&D. Well, an RPG yeah, net is not going to be particularly friendly to an old school game like mine. And, and, and he does some uh, advertising aggregation mm-hmm. services, uh, and he did offer those to me, but the price to me was higher than I was willing to pay for ads. I mean, honestly, Especially given the general sales numbers I get for the RPGs, it didn't seem more than 30. So you can best go to a company like Kaya, which is old school D&D, A-C-A-E-U-M. Yes, uh, this is the uh, collector's uh, site for old school D&D stuff. Oh, okay. uh, they've got a fantastic list of like every D&D product ever made that's valued the most recently sold at the Origins of Gen auction. And if you've got the two people that like old school crowd like that, and you've got the uh, uh, Gary Con. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that your your best marketing expense uh, is less dollars on it. It's time invested in yeah. building an audience of social media. It's time spent being a legitimate, not just talking about your stuff, talking about the other mm-hmm. stuff that excites you here. And, and a little bit of like personal TV stuff, too, which is, you know, generally stuff that I do. Well, that's what I do on my, on my Greyhawk Rock Garden blog. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, well, and you have a blog, so you have a certain amount. Well, it's a little harder to discover than, like, community sites. Sure, but I, I assume you've been building an audience over time with the blog. Almost. At, yeah, at, and... Uh, that's, I think, you know, one of the main things that you need to do before you're uh, launching a Kickstarter is you need to build out that yeah. social media network. Social, social media, media is the number one way I get people into those Kickstarters. Oh, I, I, yeah, we, we I talk, got my first book Kickstarter basically through people who read my blog. We were talking earlier about the, the percentage of uh, Kickstarter discovery versus mm-hmm. non-Kickstarter discovery. That Kickstarter discovery doesn't really get goosed. Unless there are also the non Kickstarter. Uh, See, mine was really small. So I, my non Kickstarter was like 80, 90% of mine. I only got like 10, 15% from Kickstarter itself. Yeah, it, I have a lot of friends on Kickstarter too, so you know, that, yeah. that I, that, that are that have yeah. linked up with me, and so when I launch something, they see it. Right. Yeah. And so that's I think that's, that's, that's the that's way they that. Yeah, Using the Kickstarter site itself as a social media. Um, yeah. Try to leverage those tools for sure. Yeah. Um, one relatively recent change to Kickstarter, kind of through a monkey wrench in our plans, is that you cannot have, you cannot start a second Kickstarter campaign until the previous one has been completely fulfilled. That is a policy 
uh, issue and not actually a hard and fast tool. I, I, I can go ask Cindy and ask her about it after those reports came out. Okay, but that had us swap the order of some Kickstarter because this thing was almost all the way done, so let's do that one first so we can ship them out and then start the second The answer one. I got is that they certainly recommend not starting another one until you like wrap okay. on, on, on the other one, and you will occasionally get an approver who goes, oh, no. Um, uh, uh, because they, they, they feel like that, but um, uh, particularly this is, this is sort of the advantage of being a publisher and also the advantage of doing uh, at least a partial early fulfillment of some component, some oh, right. of it. Yeah, yeah. if you're and sending out your... Uh, your the more of a track record for right. delivery you have, even if your yeah. Kickstarter isn't text or wrapped up, okay. um, you're more likely to get uh, right. approved. I, although I do have to say, having run two Kickstarters and and in fulfillment on both of them at the moment. It's not the worst policy. It's not a bad policy. It's yeah, very difficult. Yeah. I mean, when you stack them too close together, it can be a, it can be a serious problem because you're trying to do fulfillment on two projects. It's difficult. Yeah. The most frequently, I would really honestly recommend running Kickstarter this season, and even that might Yeah, yeah I, 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 I've had a long discussion with this with my creative uh, director, Peter Blackwell. She and I have determined that yeah, four is probably the maximum we want more. And, 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 and even then, I mean, because the Kickstarter campaign is a lot of work. Well, yeah. and, uh, uh, and another reason you might want to skip out on that on the last season uh, of, of those four um, is what happens if your Kickstarter wraps up, you generate a lot of cash, and you don't start spending that cash until oh, the new tax year is started. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, a lot of that revenue you generated is income with no expenses against it. Yeah. So yeah. it's fully taxed instead of just the part that yeah. you did, that, that just the, the profit part. Yeah. Um, for that reason, um, and this actually goes back to a much earlier thing we're talking about. The next Kickstarter that we're uh, running, we're going to run such that it crosses the year border. Mm-hmm. So uh, it ends in January, yeah. which is when the financial transaction actually yeah, occurs. Yeah, that's excellent. So you um, get the pledges, so uh, then we have all of 2013 to spend money instead of the last few days of December. Oh, crap! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, people have been trying to figure out how to game the tax system uh, you know, for, forever, so yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I feel no shame about that. Right, but uh, a year ago, we had seven sci-fi supplements we wanted to come out with, and they all sounded good, and we never laughed. We didn't know which ones we wanted, so... Uh, we couldn't do seven Kickstarters at a time, <laughs> so we did seven Indiegogos at a time. Which one do you like? Which one don't you like? And the ones that got the money and, and all that. And yeah, that, uh, the last... Right, 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 it didn't work out right. It didn't work out right. Oh, God. Well, he threw, what, 13, 20, and then 200? Due to this number of projects. Wow. It was also the worst time. Because I, I, that was the first time I, I felt Kickstarter fatigue during that window because it was the pre-Gen Con window. That was the... And everybody's running their Kickstarters together. And, and they were all... Cr- very high quality ones were not enough... There were just was not enough cash in the, in the sphere in that one to two month period. Yeah, it's, that underscores the thing about your timing. Yeah. Well, he was trying to do a whole thing about himself. Right. And if he had waited a month, he probably would have funded a lot more. We didn't want to over into, like, you know, people having no money in January, you know. I think spring is a good time. I think spring is a good time. You could consider summer, but recognize that you're going to be contending with Gen Con. Be aware of when Gen Con is happening and make sure that you can bridge it. During it, don't walk during it. 
uh, you know, and if that means you have to add a few more days to your Kickstarter or... Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's what I did on my last one. I ran it, so I, I timed it so it would end the, the week after Gen Con, yeah. because mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to be able to hand stuff out while I was there. Right. Yeah, um, and if you're going to be attending one of those conventions, you potentially can put out. You want to run the material to tell people about your Kickstarter. I did. I had a little QR code that went right to the yeah. right to the Kickstarter yeah. page. So, yeah. Have you ever considered uh, putting a show as a distribution option? Yes, but logistically, I find that to be a massive pain. The, the, the hurdles you have with that are identity verification. Yeah. For one, uh, and secondly. Uh, what right, if your so timing doesn't work out? Well, what there's that. If the printing took two weeks, two weeks extra, these people will all back at a level that says, I don't have to pay any shipping because I'm going to pick it up from the agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 see you at Gen Con 2050. The other problem I see with that is transport. So I brought, like, I know I'm going to have to fulfill these 20 books. I bring them. Yeah, Ten guys show up at the show, and now i got ten more books that i got to carry back home. And also that's extra space. That you'd yeah. be bringing stuff you're actually going to sell. So I, uh, I'm, I'm shaking my head. I might, I might be able to partner with like a, a retailer that's going to the store and yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Just a personal, um, personal story. I, I when I did my Kickstarter, one of my tiers was I'll send you an autograph copy. Mm-hmm. I will never ever do that again. Was that a hard time selling? Oh, oh my God. It, no, I sold a bunch of them. But then oh, I had to have them shipped to me. Or worse. And then I had to ship them out again, so I was doubling my shipping costs. Those, those plans are the worst game success scenario. Perversely, like, most of the people who wanted them were overseas. Where you were essentially triple shipping. Yeah. yeah. From the manufacturer to you, possibly then once you need your fulfillment. And it seemed like all the people who wanted the autograph ones went to Europe. And then I run into the thing where I'm at the post office filling out those stupid customs. Yeah. I already signed your book! <laughs> you guys have the Portuguese translators translated uh, Mortal Coil. One of the things that they did in their pre order was to have it signed by me. They shipped them from Ridiculous. Portugal to me. What were they charging? Uh, 500 bucks? I have no idea. I signed 10 books and then mailed them back to Portugal all on their document. It was, I, I, it was oh, oh, I Brazil. It was Brazil. Portugal, Brazil. Whatever. They all speak the same language. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I can believe that they did. Just that. Gave me up I'll sign it. Or maybe yeah. just do a separate book that has my signature in it yeah, as, as a J May on the cover page. For the timing, I know what, when Matt Corbeck uh, doing a 12 for 12, uh, he personalized uh, one, but he had a way to each sign the book so it actually was the signature and the appropriate. It's his signature, it's just like Robo signing. Yeah. But it's Matt, it's Matt who writes 8,000 words before he yeah. gets to happen. Like, i got to take care of the quads. I don't have time to actually use a pen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got about 10 minutes left. Are there any numbers on effectiveness of length of video? Yes. Oh. Um, you know a little bit of me because I kind of yeah. know that. Uh, generally, uh, by the time you reach the half minute mark, you've lost many of your viewers. That. Unless you yeah. have grabbed their attention already. By the 90 second mark, many of the ones you've grabbed are like, okay, I've already made my decision, but I don't know about it. Back is not. So, in general, I would not recommend doing more than two minutes. Um, that said, you may see me launch a project with something a little bit longer than that. But that's fine, because you know that, that, that number gets 
the numbers that like depend on average kind of things, this is statistical analysis can apply to that. Um, uh, and so long as you're doing something exciting that gets people to want to see the next 30 seconds inside of each 30 seconds, then you can potentially you know, boost things out. So be sitting at my desk with my with my laptop camera just basically and you ramp them on and Oh my god. Yes. Oh. It's the elevator. <laughs> two, two, two minutes of a talking head is about as long as people work. It's the elevator pitch. You want to ask people a quick question and then answer it. Uh, and Ralph, Ralph Mazza was sharing one with me uh, at Gen Con, which was the Kickstarter, which was not funding. And Ralph Mazza, if you don't know, has funded like 250 Kickstarter. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, he went on there to see why this wasn't working, and he looked at it because all the reward tiers, all the everything looked great. But he clicked on the video, and there's this scary serial killer looking dude sitting in his basement. <laughs> 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 like, I don't want this one, to, this guy, to know where I live. What with no furniture in his house? Chapter 13 presses on two Kickstarters now. Our first one was not successful, our second one was. The second one did not have a video. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we did so have a video. Now it's quickly is over. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I generally think that doing some kind of video makes some sense. Make it short and funny. And really, keep in mind, you don't have to use your video to explain everything about your game. Right. Your, your this video is going to have to say, this is me, and this is why this is exciting. Done. Right. And that's why, honestly, more than two minutes is actually kind of yeah. it's, it's, an, it's an ad. People don't watch ads for two minutes. Yeah, and you got to think about how how it's going to be an entertaining thing because a video is all encompassing, right? I slow down and I watch a damn video. I'm not also surfing the web or talking to someone online. I'm having to watch the video, and that kind of demand on my attention per second is more intensive than it, than many other ways that I could be interacting with your with your project page. I've also heard that a too that too slick a video turns some people off because they think you don't need my money. We didn't pretty afford to make a video. You don't need my slick videos for both of our Kickstarters didn't seem to turn people off, but but I think that's impossible. Yeah, you, you need to think about well, but I think also going into the launching of our Kickstarters, we had also had a number of other ways that we had already given people a chance to feel like they were pushing the things people had, etc. Right? There, there's some stuff like that. In our next one. Um, I actually uh, decided that uh, that this was one where I was going to talk with the camera for a couple minutes. Um, uh, and then talking with uh, 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 Chris Hanrahan, who uh, was a good friend He had the uh, notion of, you know what? Everything that you're saying in this is good, and, it, and, and short, it's good length, and so forth. We're, we're going to get the right message out there, but it's a little dry. So why don't we have someone, uh, the guy who had done our Slender videos before, Little pop up video comments instead of mocking how you're stumbling through this or adding additional pieces of information about the project, so that there's the second stream of funniness and/or information happening while you're also getting the things that I'm talking about. I think the mock spread out live. Pardon? I think the mock spread out live. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, there's, there's a point towards the end where I where I have like just too long a pause before I say thank you, and the, I think I in, in the script the pop up said something like. But you know, that's how you. I mean, that's just one example of of, of the way that we took something that gave people that personal connection to the talking head thing that a number of people do like about the Kickstarter campaign. Um, 
but also give it something to make it engaging enough that someone would want to stay with well, it. Yeah, each video is, is unique to the project. Mm -hmm. I've taken a different approach for each of the projects because yeah. they've been different. Like, Bulldogs is a humorous game. I had a humorous video. Yeah, you did a return of the video. I did, yes. Yeah. And then uh, Russ here uh, helped me out by... Uh, by recording my inner world uh, intro for the Blood Red Sands. Yeah. <laughs> Where he just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did my introduction for Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, each one is appropriate. And again, what you're trying to do is grab people quickly because that 30 second to 90 second thing. That's that's across the web. It's not just Kickstarter. The, the first thirty seconds is your draft. Yeah, right. Yeah. Any time you're doing the video, that I'm getting you here is actually not sourced from Kickstarter. It's sourced from how to construct a good web video. Right. Um, yeah. That that's a, yeah, and I know and that, that and all that Pinterest page that I uh, mentioned that after I have Kickstarter links. Um, one of them is to the how to construct a good web video. Yeah. It it covers up. I think uh, we're uh, just about wrapped up. Is anyone else in here? Is anyone else in here running a Kickstarter that they want people to know about? Because hey, we've got you know actual <laughs> interested people that they want to know. Okay, so, all right. Well, right. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for our in December. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.